Alright, welcome back to History Talks with History Buff 1836 and to the new season, United States Presidents, a look at the Arab Presidency. If you didn't catch the trailer, that's completely fine. We are looking at the President's life before their presidency, during, and after. And what all happened to the United States during their presidency. So basically, the United States history, but through the eyes of the Presidents and how it changed America of what actions they took. Okay, so we are going to go through the, the founding of America and who came to America before Christopher Columbus stumbled across it right up to the Boston Tea Party. And we're not going to talk about the Boston Tea Party in this episode, but we are going to talk about the actions of leading up to the Boston Tea Party. And if you have any questions about this episode or any episodes in the, in the future, any event in the American U.S. history about any United States president that we've had or uh, candidate that we had, vice president, cabinet members or whatever leave them in my facebook messages my instagram or on the voice message of the anchor app all those will be in the show notes below welcome to history talks with history buff 1836 a podcast about the presidents of the united states of america a look inside to what happened in america during their presidency here is your host history buff 1836 we all know that british were not the first people to step foot on north america and north america who were the first people and why did they come to north america before it was named north america Many believe that the first humans to step foot on North and South America came from Asia, entering North America on a land bridge thousands of years ago during the Ice Age period. They didn't really think of themselves as settlers or explorers. These people were moving from camp to camp in search for food. They stayed there for a while and became permanent settlers over time. These settlers stayed in North and South America for years before Europe had thought, ever thought about coming ever going on a voyage for the search for new land. But Christopher Columbus wasn't the first European to discover and search for new land. The first European to discover North and South Americas was Norseman Leif Erikson. He ventured out on North Atlantic Ocean around the year 1000, landing on the shores of Labrador. His discovery did go unnoticed until several centuries later. But Erikson did not have publicity in mind when he started to set sail and landing in South America. He took note of what was discovered. However, someone else had publicity in mind. Amerigo Vesepi on, was on his third voyage when he landed near present-day Rio de Plata, near Argentina. Amerigo believed he discovered a new continent. He wrote down all his findings and things related to his voyages. But on his first voyage, with a fleet of ships from Spain, he could have discovered modern-day Venezuela. Now, I say could have because the later that America, about Amerigo's discovery, no one knows if it was truly him or not. Whether or not, if that letter was from him, he wrote a lot about his different voyages, and they were published and circulated very well in and then in 1507, a German geographer saw circulation of Amerigo's discoverer and said that Amerigo was the key discoverer of 
North and South America continent, and that the continent should be called America in honor of Amerigo. So where does this famous discoverer, or who most people think that discovered America, Christopher Columbus, come in at? So Christopher Columbus wanted to set sail to find a better and a quicker way to get to India for training purposes. Christopher Columbus is, is, is from Portugal, and in order to get to India, was to sail south all the way around Africa and back north to get to India. And it was not very efficient with them having to wait for the weather. It could take several months for them to get there and then back. Well, Portugal told Christopher Columbus, basically said that we don't have money for you to waste your time finding a quicker way to India. Because, you know, they already have a way. They don't know. They don't, they don't have any maps of this place that he wants to go set sail. So there could be icebergs and other things that could damage their ships, kill Columbus, and waste their money. So Christopher Columbus went with Spain. Spain basically said, yes, sure, why not? Here's money, here's money. But there's kind of a catch. If Christopher Columbus didn't find land and he had to return to Spain empty-handed, he would basically probably have to pay all the money back and he would probably have probably be shunned for life. Right before he was about to give up, he found land. But that land he founded was not India or anywhere close to India. It was it wasn't North America either. It was Central America. He brought back a lot of things such as spices and gold and he brought it back to Spain. And so real quick here's a short snippet about Christopher Columbus. His first his real name is Christopher Columbo. When he landed, he killed some natives, set up some settlements, and died poor. So why do we celebrate him and not Amerigo, who America is named after, or even Eric's? In the year 1000, Europe wasn't ready for the New World or more territories. But by Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean and discovered the new continent, they were ready. So Spain, Portugal, and Great Britain started to set up all settlements in, in the, the New World. world. Britain, Britain was the main one. one. And that, that was one we're, that we're, we're going to talk about, because if it wasn't for British, who knew who would be the major one? But British was the major one. The British. So Great Britain tried to set up colonies here before, and it felt the first one was called Roanoke. And the colonists were probably killed or combined with native tribes there. They tried another one, it was called Jamestown in 1607. And Jamestown expanded because the settlers were coming from Europe, were facing religious persecution, had mixed encounter with the native tribes there, but it succeeded. It stayed there for a long time until the Revolutionary War. So they were escaping religious persecution because over in Europe, a religious movement called the Protestant Reformation was going on where the people were discovering and learning about how corrupt the Catholic Church was and they started to leave the Catholic Church creating denominations such as Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran. But they but they were persecuted because they didn't have freedom of religious like the United States does today. And it all started with the printing press becoming popular and more and more popular circulating and more and more newspapers circulating and pamphlets and other people writing about their thoughts and people becoming more informed and then people were reading 
people were reading the Bibles on their own and started saying, oh, they're not, the Bible doesn't say that, and realizing the corruption of the teaching in the church. But Jamestown was not the first colony by Great Britain. Okay, blah, blah, blah. All right, so the pilgrims. You all heard the pilgrims growing up in school. Well, I mean, if you're from the United States, we did. The pilgrims were called Spiritans. They fled to England from the persecution of leaving the church and fled to Holland and then in the Netherlands and eventually left Europe altogether to the New World to set up colonies. The pilgrims founded the Puritan faith on the Congressional Church. And they were the ones who preached the idea of being a city on the hill for the rest of the colonies on how to live their lives being an example for the rest. The pilgrims ran into some nice Native American a nice Native American named Squanto. Squanto taught them how to grow crops in the climate they were in. Squanto tried to get other tribes to cooperate with them and live live in peace with them and not start to war with them. But Squanto fell ill and died. Puritans So now we're fast fast forwarding a little bit to the Great Awakening in America. Puritans wanted to reform because and that's how you got the seat on the hill message, like I said before. People, the people who, in the Puritan colonies, were supposed to be godly, go to church often, but they weren't. They were kind of slacking, and so the Great Awakening happened between 1730s to 1740s, and it was a mid-country wave of evangelism in America, Germany, England, and Scotland. This would give rise to the Lutheran Cleic Church, the Catholic Church of England, even though there was a lot of rebellion going on around the Catholic Church of England, but because uh, a lot of people had stopped going, created new churches like the before in the colonies. The Great Awakening was to fill the spiritual needs of going to church and hope to charge them that they were going to start charging them back up so they would start back. Charge them back up so they could go back again. That's the basic gist of Colonies were forming from England, like previously mentioned, Jamestown and the Great Awakening. So we're going to fast forward a lot, and we're going to get to the French and Indian War, or the Seven Years' War, as France calls it. So it's called the French and Indian War because the who were the British were fighting against. They were fighting against the Indians and then the French in 1753. Virginia's governor, Robert Didwiddle, sent George Washington to, to Pennsylvania to demand the French to withdraw from the forts, and the French refused. So George Washington reached around with six, 600, 160 men. The French defeated the colonists at Forest Necessity, and French and Indian War was basically on. So while this was going on, there was a meeting with the representatives of the tribe, Chris Confederate, and the colonies. Benjamin Franklin proposed a, proposed the Albany Plan, and it was to unite the colonies and create a council that will control taxes, raise troops to trade with native delegates. Congress approved it, and the colonies refused it to ratify because of the taxation. The colonies were, who were separately needed to be united for this war, but did not go as planned. So, back to the war. Britain ordered General Braddock and a combined of 3,000 redcoats and a colonial militia to attack the French 
at Fort Disney. But the French and Indian Fort defeated the British, once again killing General Braddock. Two-fifths of them were either wounded or killed. During the war, they had there was a control change over in Brenton. By 1756, William Pitt became the new British King Chief Minister. He viewed North America as where England and France are to be fought for. He let Prussia bear the weight of the Seven Years' War, the fighting that was going on in Europe, while the British Army is mainly focused on the French and Indian War. Over in the colonies to help by uniting the, the divided colonies by promising pay for the soldiers fighting in the war. But they they get paid? Nope. So how did the war go and how who had better advantages? Well, France is greatly outnumbered by the British colonists and records. But France worked better with each other as one team and you, and was used to taking orders by a single commander. And and most of the Native Americans were willing to fight with the France in the Ohio River Valley. In 1756, war is officially declared and France has taken Fort Oswego, William, and Seti. This is where Pitt comes in and raised Texas to control the colonies once again and to unite them. By 1758, the British took several major victories, such as the capture of Louisburg, and Louisburg is an important French fort. So that was a major milestone. Later that year, by the British, the British also took control of the entire Ohio River Valley and Quebec. And leadership of the French general Malticlam is declining, and this is, and there's no empires of France in North America anymore. No region, North America region, but there are some in the Canaan, present-day Canada. But finally, continued until 1760s. By 1763. The French and British signed the Treaty of Paris 1.0, ending the French and Indian War. British got, the British got majority of the land owned by France, where present-day Canada is, and land owned by French east of Mississippi is land owned by the French is east of the Mississippi River, which is a, with the British finally done fighting. Two wars. Some basically they're kind of like two wars. They weren't really two wars, but they kind of fought a little bit in Europe. And plus, British is always fighting with someone, so British was in kind of two wars at this point, and they got into major debt. And this is where things took a shift in American colonies when we come back from the break. way they started to make profit from their colonies was to tax them. Before they were taxed with the French and Indian War, the British put in the Proclamation of 1763, which told the colonists they could not move west of the Appalachian Mountains. The king sent troops over there to strictly enforce this law for the colonies that they, for the colonists they ignored it and already moved there. They were kicked out and they were forced out. This created another problem. The soldiers that were there making sure all these colonies were acting civilly and according to the laws needed to be paid. One of these massive, on top of the massive war that the British needed to pay, they also needed, they also needed to pay the royal soldiers in the colonies. George Greenville and the prime, the prime, who, George Greenville, who is the prime minister, saw the colonists 
as the least taxed people on the world, in the world, and they must pay for the troops that were helping defend them. He also did not like the merchant smuggling profit products into these colonies to avoid paying the British taxes. Under that, by ordering the officers in the colonies to strictly enforce the Navigation Acts and by sending in warships. Navigation Acts was passed in 1651, but was more strictly enforced around this time. After the French and Indian War, but they were the laws that only allowed the British ships to bring merchandise into the colonies. The colonies never followed them through the Sugar Act, though the Sugar Act had already passed, which lowered taxes on foreign molasses, but raising the tax on sugar, coffee, Spanish wines, British textiles. Molasses is very profitable, even more so if it is smuggled into the colonies. George Greenville did not like that and pushed the American Revenue Act of 1764, which entailed the Sugar Act. Which entailed the Sugar Act, which again lowered the taxes on molasses in half in hopes to stop smuggling. This was the first tax bill that was put on the colonies without their consent. Their hopes of making revenue from colonies did not pass. The cause of enforcing it was four times as much. Next act that British put on the colonies was the Currency Act. This prohibited the colonies from coining and making their own money. On top of that, the on top of that, in order to buy British goods, you must either pay in gold or silver or in tobacco. The Currency Act, the colonists even was even more broken out of money. A Philadelphia newspaper had said this on the issue quote The times are dreadful, dismal and dollars. Then another tax was passed on October 7, 1765, and at this time they were taxed on newspaper, pamphlets, bonds, playing cards, and other official documents. Thus created the Stamped Act. None of the colonists supported the act. The colonists were mad, mad at all these taxes were being created, and now they were being forced to quarter troops along with the Quartering Act. The Quartering Act forced the colonists to house and to feed the British troops that were in the colonies, making the colonists obey the king's orders. The troops would show up at the door and demand them to be let in, and you would have to do it. Reportedly, General British General Knox admitted that the Quartering Act was to secure the dependence on the British. We all know that the colonists were mad at the acts, and the battle, their battle cry was no taxation without representation. But what, what was their reasoning? And how were they going to do about it? The Whigs or the Patriots wanted independence from the king. They viewed the king as corrupt. They felt that Greenville was violating their rights, and the colonists agreed that they have to be—they had the right to be taxed, only having representation in Parliament. They said we could be taxed, but we want our voice on it. And guess what? They had no representation on it. And so they started protesting, calling themselves Sons of Liberty, meaning all across the colonies and almost every colony underneath trees. The leader, the main leader, Patrick Henry, convicted, not convicted, convinced the members to sign the Stamped Act resolutions. Those said, again, they cannot be taxed without their consent by voting in British government or parliament. That wasn't the only thing they signed. Between 1767 and 1777, they signed non-importation agreements that pledge not to buy or to consume British good only goods. 
that they will ignore the British-only good laws. The non-importation agreements had united the Whigs of the colonies, also had major role in uniting women and resisting British colonial policies and called themselves Daughters of Liberties. They made their own tea instead of drinking the British tea. They made the tea with herbs and flowers, calling it Liberty Tea. Patriots who were for the Revolutionary War view, view the boycotting as restoring their own virtue in the colonies, and the refusing of British goods would restore frugality, industry, and simplicity of manners. The boycotts actually worked. British imports fell by 40%, and the Virginia House of Burgesses struck the first blow against the Stamp Act with the Virginia Resolutions by Pat by Patrick Henry. They, de they declared that they are entitled to all rights of Englishmen, and Englishmen could be taxed only by their own elected representatives, and because they did not have their own elected representatives in Parliament, they were being taxed without their consent, and they are not allowed to vote. They had no representation in Parliament, and therefore could not be taxed. Massachusetts House of Representatives also declared their own anti-stamp acts, and they invited representatives from all 13 colonies to assemble into New York. Nine responded, and all of them combined were called the Stamps Act to Congress. And guess what they did? They formed a Declaration of Rights and Grievances of the colonies, and stated again they are resistant being taxed. And they will not be taxed until without the representation and parliament. After multiple colonies creating their own declarations and coming together to create one giant declaration of we cannot be taxed and parliament will not be taxed without representation and parliament and refusing to purchase British goods, Greville finally responded and said colonists are ungrateful, which is basically an equal to a stop on the wrist. Now some time had passed and Greenville was replaced by Cord Rockingham. And because the stamp tech was about to go into effect, a British mob stormed the royal lieutenant's home. The person who was in charge of enforcing the stamp tech, named Thomas Hutchinson, resigned, and Rockingham was convinced the stamp tech was a mistake. In February of 1776, Parliament had repealed the Stamped Act, and soon repealed another act, but first, July 1776, I mean, July 16, 1767, King George had the third the third replaced Reckingham with William Pitt, the former Prime Minister who was in charge of the French Indian War. Pitt had an, had an advisor, Charles Townshed, and you might know you might know where this is going if you know the name Townshed. Now, Charles Townshed pushed his actor prominent called the Townshed Acts, with which was the most well-known revenue act of 1767 put a tax on glass, lead, paper, and tea. The most hated one of tax on tea, too. Those taxes paid for royal governors and colonies in the colonies, and John Adams said that this was about, said this about the Challenge Shed Act, will make the royal government independent on the colonies, and it will disrupt the balance of power. And now we are at the well-known event, the Boston Tea Party next week on History Talks with History Buff 1836. Peace. <laughs>